Hello and welcome to A Life More Wild. I'm Christopher Wilson Elms from Canopy and Stars, and today we're going to be hearing about an incredible, really ambitious 40-year plan to rewild and revitalize an area of Cornwall, including the reintroduction of beaver and lynx, which haven't been seen in this country for centuries. But before that, Bird Girl. I gave that name to myself um, when I was like 11. Oh no, younger than that actually, when I was like eight. Now, Maya Rose Craig, occasionally known as Bird Girl, is an activist, a writer, speaker. She's founded a charity. She has been part of Bristol's Drive for European Green Capital and an avid bird watcher. I went for Bird Girl just because it sounded like a superhero. I liked birds. I thought it was pretty cool at the time. And then I decided to call my blog the same thing. And it sort of just stuck. We've come down to her home in Compton Martin, on the edge of the Mendips just south of Bristol, to take a little walk with her, go up into the quarry, see if we can see some ravens that have been nesting up in the cliffs, and talk to her about equality in nature and the future of environmentalism. Today I wanted to take you guys on one of the very regular walks I've been doing during lockdown to some of my favourite birds that I've been watching during lockdown, which is a pair of ravens that have been breeding in an old abandoned quarry. I haven't been up to see this nest for a few weeks, so I have no idea if the chicks are even going to still be there, if they're going to be healthy, if the parents will still be around. But yeah, we're going to go check it out today and see what's there. I think this woodland in particular is really nice just because you've got a lot of old quarries and stuff and a lot of it was so disturbed and so like not nature friendly I guess and over the last 50 years or so nature's just totally reclaimed all the quarries turning them from like massive sort of scars in the ground to being like amazing habitat for the birds and the animals that live here which I think is really nice actually and it's not just the ravens you've got loads of other great stuff <laughs> I found a old flower in like the bog at the back of one of the quarries once and I didn't really know what it was but I posted a picture and someone said that's a that's a really rare orchid that's great um, which I'm not really a flower person but that was still quite exciting but just in general I, I really love this wood it's just you've got a lot of amazing stuff going on here uh, you've got like a massive badger set at the top you've got loads of deer and of course you've got loads and loads of birds, so it's great. It's somewhere where obviously I've spent a lot of time during lockdown, but also where I spent a lot of time birding when I was a kid. Because my whole family <laughs> were bird watchers, my parents were, my older sister were, and they've been taking me out since I was a baby, and I don't know, it's always been a really big part of my life because of that, and I've always, always loved birds. Um, I love this view. Um, it's really nice, you can see Shoe Valley Lake. It's very beautiful. But this spot is also where we used to see a lot of gold crests in the woods. They used to fly around a lot in these very tall trees that we've got around them and that was always, always a very special treat because I, I love gold crests, I think they're really beautiful. Like I said, I, I've always really loved birds and I've always really loved going out into nature. But I'm also half Bangladeshi and I think as I got older, by the time I was 11 or 12, I was becoming really aware that I 
just never saw anyone who wasn't white out in the countryside and I didn't know anyone who wasn't white that enjoyed being outdoors. And I think that that was my first observation on a really low level, that there was some sort of issue going on in terms of people accessing and engaging with nature. But I didn't really know what. And totally unrelated, I decided to run a summer camp for kids, like a weekend camp when I was about 13. And it was just so I could hang out with other kids who were interested in nature for a weekend. And it was super fun and there were loads of people really interested. But everyone who signed up was like a white middle-class teenage boy. And I guess that felt much more personal and much more real in terms of this issue because it was something that I was organising and something that I was sorting out. So for that camp, I sort of went out of my way to go and get some lads from inner city Bristol and bring them out on this camp. And yeah, and the, the camp went really well. These kids all had a really good time and they all engaged with nature in some shape or form. And a lot of finding these people totally came down to just community contacts and knowing like trusted figures within these communities. And I think that that's the missing link that a lot of events that have historically tried to work with kids in these communities just haven't managed to have or haven't managed to find. Um, and I wrote to lots of big UK nature organisations to ask what they were doing to try and solve this issue. And they weren't really doing anything because I think at the time there was a real sense of entitlement in terms of there's no segregation, we're not stopping people from coming, so it's not really our business if people aren't coming. Um, which obviously is not quite how things like this work. But I ended up running a conference that next year called Race Equality in Nature that was all about trying to figure out what these issues were and how to solve them. Because I felt like if I just sort of handed the answer to these organisations, they might go away and just fix the issue. Um, which, yeah, still working on that. But it, it was a really important conference because no one had ever just sort of asked people from those communities what they felt the issues were and they knew they knew straight away what what was going on and they were talking about like low level things that I guess are really easy to fix like the fact that a lot of people just don't have the right clothes the right footwear for going outside going out into nature in the first place or the fact that there's a very real cultural fear of dogs where people don't want to go into spaces where they're worried there might be dogs running around, especially if they have young children because there's just a completely different attitude to like how to dogs, basically. But they were also talking about some really difficult issues to overcome, like how there was just a real feeling of the countryside being white and elitist and unwelcoming and like they didn't want to go there because they felt that they would be unwelcome. Um, but I think there's the potential for some really positive change going forward after Black Lives Matter and after lockdown, where there's a lot of people who have been venturing out into the countryside for the first time during lockdown. And there's also been a lot of really honest conversations about race and race inequality and how to fix those issues. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So the next place that we're going is to an old abandoned quarry and that's because there has been a pair of ravens flying around with a nest in here somewhere and um, 
we're going to see if they have chicks, if the chicks have fledged, if the nest has succeeded, and I genuinely don't know what the answer is going to be. Me and my dad were very excited when we first noticed a pair of ravens flying around above our house and even more excited when we realised that there was a nest nearby. And there are a few reasons for that, but the main one is that you just don't really get pairs of ravens nesting that close to people's houses normally because they do nest in massive old abandoned quarries and on cliff sides and things like that and those normally aren't that near people's houses. Um, but well, we can just walk into the quarry now and see what we can see. So this quarry that we're in is a massive sort of U shape and it gets very tall at the back, uh, much taller than it looks from the ground. And it's full of like trees and massive boulders from the mining days and you can see the nest from here but it's very difficult to see in so there have been a few times where I've walked around the edge of the quarry to try and see what was going on with the raven nest um, and it feels quite structurally sound but you don't really know if it is so the nest is right at the top a couple meters left to the top of the ivy just where those jackdaws are flying around and I'm just looking with my binoculars to try and see if there's anything actually in there. Um, there's, lo there's lots of bird poo um, on it and on the side of the cliff face. But I suspect that the ravens might have fledged, which is really exciting because that means that it's been a successful nest. I also suspect that because of all the jackdaws that are flying around because you do get them with ravens and stuff, but these ravens have been very territorial. It's not just jackdaws, they quite often go for quite big birds of prey, like buzzards, and they're quite savage, really. They've got a very big bill, and they use it. They'll, like, sort of squawk and shout at things until they go away. Ravens are also very territorial in terms of their young as well. So they'll care for them, they'll feed them in the nest, things like that. But as soon as, well, as soon as it's time, they will kick them out of their territory. And, it, you know, it's time for those ravens to go and find somewhere else to live that's not eating all the food that the adults want. So depending how old these chicks would have been, they might be long gone from the local area by now, which... Yeah, I, d I don't know, might never see these chicks again, but that's all right. Maya Rose Craig there, taking us on a stroll through her local wood. Now, I've got a question for you. When was the last time you saw a beaver in the wild? Well, considering they became extinct in the UK during the 16th century, chances are you never have. But as a keystone species, they could provide a solution to some of our biggest environmental threats. Lizzie and her partner Merlin run the keep at Kabir Manor in Cornwall. Sorry, there's a, really is a chicken who's going to come and... Yeah, hang on one sec, sorry. Go away! Shoo. There we go. Less random now. For the last couple of years, they've been working on a hugely ambitious project to restore their land's biodiversity. We chatted to them about how you go from planting a few trees to deciding to reintroduce beavers to a quiet stretch of the River Wollegan. 
We are at Cabela Cornwall. It's an upland hill farm right in the heart of Bodmin Moor, so right in the middle of Cornwall. It was my husband's father's farm and it's incredible. Like it really is like no other place on earth that I've ever seen. It's uh, it's a combination of ancient oak woodland, which is over a thousand years old. So you have all these kind of amazing, gnarled, beautiful oak trees. There's nothing kind of symmetrical or uniform about where we live. It's all a little bit mad. We have the beautiful Bedalza River, which is um, a lovely river in Cornwall. It's Cornish for Sweetwater. And that runs all the way through our land. It's absolutely beautiful. And there's tons of kind of bathing pools and rock pools to paddle in, which we love doing in the summer. And then we also have wildflower meadows full of butterflies and bees. Um, And then the rest of the farm that we're kind of slowly sort of bringing back to life. You know, we've been kind of coming down to and fro for the best part of a decade, splitting life between London and here and kind of always coming here and finding such release. I think we'd sometimes physically change, you know, when we got off the train and you'd be tightly coiled springs in London and then you'd get off the train and go, oh, amazing. It's just a it's just a beautiful, happy place. Um, and you can hear the birds when you, you leave can hear the birds when you leave the door. I mean, the thing is, the bird song is is so loud. We always laugh because we we have an alarm clock that's one of those ones that wakes you up with the sunshine and natural noises. And quite often we're woken up with the natural bird song before the alarm even goes off. So, you know, it's like 5 a.m. and we've got all of these birds nesting outside our windows. How do you go from what's a lovely bit of land, it's absolutely beautiful, to let's reintroduce beavers to the UK? When does that oh. happen? <laughs> when does that happen? So I think for the longest time we've been dreaming of of how we could do something with the farm that's truly good. So how can we do something that's good for the land, that's good for the people that come to stay here, and that's good for community as well. Um, and I think beavers are the most amazing creatures. They're, they're what we call ecosystem engineers. So thinking about how Kabila benefits the land, everything that we're wanting to put onto Kabila and into Kabila, we want it to have a positive effect. And beavers are amazing species. So They're they're ecosystem engineers in the sense that by introducing them to an ecosystem, they essentially make everything better and more diverse. And by the way, I'm not a scientist. I'm just an enthusiastic amateur. But they do something called a trophic cascade, which essentially makes the population of flora and fauna around them more brilliant, more vibrant um, and and more dense, which is incredible. And, And we're already seeing that, I suppose, in the enclosure. You know, incidences of birds that we hadn't seen before, reptiles that we hadn't seen before. So it's it kind of is quite a long-winded way of explaining it to you, but it's it's essentially all come from how we do positive things to the land to leave it in a better place, I suppose. The big question, have they built a big dam? Does it really happen? It really happens. So our beavers are called Sigourney and Jean-Claude Van Damme. And Sigourney we released last year. So that was... <laughs> that was so crazy because you know it's it's a re- it takes a really long time to to get permission to do all of these things. So it's it's been in the in the making for about three years because you have to get lots of permits. You have to prove that the environment that you're going to be putting them into is appropriate and suitable for them. That you know where they're going to dam, the land can hold that. That you're not going to damage anything else. So then you release them one at a time. Yeah. So we release them one at a time. So. Um, Merlin's father had actually just come out of hospital. He'd been in in hospital with COVID for about seven weeks, for most of that on a ventilator. And we decided we wanted to go for it. We wanted him to be a part of it. And so he actually released Sigourney. And so she was in the enclosure and she was building her dam and she was, you know, really cracking on and making it her home, just getting involved. And then six months later, we released Jean-Claude. 
And, you know, we were really worried because Sigourney had a dam at the top of the enclosure and Jean-Claude at the bottom. And we were like, oh, God. They don't get on. Yeah. They don't get on. Like, this is this is not, this arranged marriage hasn't worked. So we we were really worried about it. But actually, really excitingly, in the past few weeks, we've seen on our trail cams that they're now cohabiting. So we're really excited that they're going to be starting a family soon. So it's quite exciting. Are they quite easy to spot when you go down there or are they very shy at certain times of day? There's always something to see, which is the really exciting part of it. So whether you're just walking past the enclosure, we're very lucky that they've built their dam in a fantastic place. So even if you're just walking past the top of the farm, you can see this incredible dam that is growing every day. And you can see trees that they're working on or a paw print or... um, or some shavings or and lots of poo. There's poo everywhere. Um, but you can you can see them more at dawn and dusk. They're nocturnal. So they are kind of they're more kind of early risers um, and late starters in the day. You hear them a lot, actually. If you're we often go to the hide and we just kind of sit in there, kind of waiting <laughs> to see something. But you can often hear kind of shuffling about or kind of tails slapping on the water, that kind of thing. The, the whole project for the land and for everything you're doing is, is mm. broader and bigger than that. It is bigger. We call it the Thousand Year Project. So it is pretty big. <laughs> it's, um, and we call, it, we call it that because I don't ever really think that you kind of own land properly. That's just sort of what we believe. We believe that we're just kind of guardians of it and that we're just looking after it for the time that we've been lucky enough to be doing that. Um, so our ancient oak woodland is over a thousand years old and it's been left to its own devices for over a thousand years. And, you know, there's there's magic in those woods and there's a health and um, a robustness to the soil that it grows in and to just how it operates. And we've had scientists come down already and tell us that the soil health of the um, ancient oak woodland is so much healthier than the surrounding land. So what our goal is, 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 is really simple, is to leave the land in a better state than when we found it. You know, we're, we're guardians of it today and we want to protect it for future generations. So it really is a project for creating this kind of positive circular economy around the land that will impact everyone in, in a better way and kind of protect it for the future. Now, I did hear a rumour about lynx. Is that true? Mm. <laughs> you know, I think we're we're really open to genuinely doing positive things. You know, lynx are incredible creatures and they haven't really been around for a while. And I guess, arguably, you could say that that's, that's human's fault and that we've kind of been responsible for that either by, you know, impacting them directly or impacting the species around them in, in the food chain. I think we're, you know, we're definitely having conversations about it, um, but it won't be anything that we do in the near future. I think it's it's something that, with all of these things, you know, it took us the best part of, you know, three to four years to do beavers. You know, lynx is a kind of a whole other ball game, but we're we're for sure, you know, interested and excited. And I think that they could have an incredible impact, but we just need to kind of, I think we just need to go gently. So do you see the same, see the same effect on your guests that the place has on you? Yes, definitely. Because I think one of the things being here that I always find is that it, it makes things simple. It makes things really simple. You're, you you kind of switch off from everything else that you have going on. That's definitely been the experience that my husband and I have had. I think for the most part, it enables people to just be present and be still. And then I think when you're present and you're still, you notice things in a different way. 
And I think there's there's such peace and there's such joy that can come from from noticing things. An incredible plant or a leaf that you haven't seen before or an incredible beetle that you see on the ground, you know, things that you would normally not notice can bring such joy. Yeah, it's enough for people just to be there, I think, sometimes. Mm. Just to step into it and, like you say, out of everything Yeah, else. just to step into it and just to paddle in the river and to watch the dippers and to listen to the bird song and to, you know look at the stars at night you know we're in a dark sky environment it's it's such a rare thing in the uk it just doesn't it's it's hardly present at all the stars we have here it almost feels like otherworldly i mean we're, we're kind of on the go like mal and i we do operate at 150 miles an hour most of the time but we're fortunate that we can do that within nature so we always make sure that we're taking time to just have a coffee and sit in the sunshine and then maybe maybe at the end of the day we'll we'll go and we'll have some sundowners like sitting on the top of the land rover at the top of the farm and we'll watch the sunset and we'll you know be with our dogs and you know, just just simple things you know working hard balanced with simple pleasures it's not the same as working flat out in london is it i mean i did that for over a decade and i i'm very grateful for the experience but it's a chaos that i'm not <laughs> i don't necessarily want to go back to i'm quite happy just to dip in and dip out now thanks for joining us for a life more wild i hope you've been inspired by both my rose and lizzie but bear in mind that reintroducing beavis to your garden is a bit tricky so maybe start with the bird watching and work your way up from there if you want to stay at the keep or find out more about what either Lizzie or Maya Rose are up to, then check out the links in the episode notes. You can also find out where to buy our book, which features essays from Bird Girl and many others, or follow us on Instagram at Canopy and Stars. Also remember to hit that follow button in your podcast app for all the other episodes in the series. Until next time, stay wild. <laughs>